Now I want to continue our study of the book of Revelation and I believe that this next series is very intentionally focused on the woman, the woman of Revelation 12. I have not really followed this woman through the scriptures until recently and so I want to do that because I believe it's absolutely a key to understanding critical things in the scriptures regarding the end of the age. For example, the Lord Jesus Christ said that because lawlessness will abound, the love of most will become cold and brother will turn against brother, there will be a great falling away. Uh, the Apostle Paul, speaking to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, also referenced this great falling away and says that it comes at the time when, or just prior to, the revealing of the man of lawlessness. So a great falling away is, is very key to understanding some of the most significant symbolisms of, uh, of the book of Revelation. Now, a falling away uh, is by definition a departure from an existing standard. And that means that certain ones should have been previously connected to or would have appeared to be part of uh, this this homogenous group, this group that, that ultimately is separated. Jesus referred to this principle many times in the scriptures particularly when he was talking about the kingdom of heaven. He would say such things as, the kingdom of heaven is as a great net thrown into the sea that brings forth of every kind, so it's the kingdom that draws them, but then when it's brought to land, uh, the the fish are separated. Um, Another example of the same thing, and probably more to the point is the story, the parable of the tares and the wheat. And the tares, you see, look like the wheat as just crops growing. So it's hard to distinguish the one from the other. He describes the tares as the children of the devil, but the wheat the good seed, as children of the kingdom. And he indicated a timing as to when there would be a separation. He said, let them grow together until the day of the harvest. And then angels would be sent to gather out uh, the tares from amongst the wheat the tares to be destroyed, the wheat to be collected in safely. Other things such as, um, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins 
who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Matthew 25, five of them were wise, five were foolish. They who were wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps and uh, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at that point, the five foolish were indistinguishable from the five wise. And it was at the time of the appearing of the Lord or the appearing of the bridegroom that when the cry was made, behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him, that all those virgins arose, trimmed their lamps and uh, the foolish then discovered that their lamps had gone out and the wise, they, they, they appealed to the wise who had taken oil in their vessels with their lamps and uh, they appealed to them for sharing. And the wise said, no, 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 we can't do that. There won't be enough for us and you. But instead, go to those who buy and sell, uh, go and, uh, sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went away, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in onto the marriage and the door was shut. Afterward, the other five foolish virgins came back. They said, open to us and uh, the keeper of the door said, depart from me, I never knew you. Uh, And in, in that light, Jesus will say, many will say to me in that day, uh, the day when judgment of these matters comes, uh, he said, um, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in your name done many wonderful works? And I will say to them, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you." So this idea of a separation uh, between people who appear at one time to be one homogenous group of people uh, focused on and, and believing in the things of God and of Christ, there will come a time inevitably of separation. Now, this has happened on numerous occasions in the scriptures and and it's been referenced as I just gave you in a list of of references, it's been referenced to a thing that would happen at the end of the age. Although uh, such separations have occurred amongst the people of God um, historically, Now the fact that a thing has happened in history previously means only this, that it is a type and a shadow of the final realization of the thing. Many people have foolishly said, because it has happened before, that is the fulfillment. Well, you you will note quite often that the same thing happens multiple times. All that means is that there will come a time when every, everything to which these multiple occurrences point will come to a final apogee, a time when that's the thing of which all these other things spoke. It's very important to understand that little bit of, of uh, explanation because this woman in Revelation 
has a long biblical history. So let's, let's go to the, the opening and the beginning reading in uh, Revelation 12. Here he says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. Now, that she is majestic in appearing is undoubtedly referenced here. The clothed with the sun, the indication of light, and uh, the moon under her feet, an indication that in fact she is resplendent in the glory of the sun and dominates all other light, like the moon under her feet. And of course, this is a reference to enlightenment, to the grace and the glory of revelation versus the reflection of that, uh, much like the truth of Scripture finds its way into political theory, finds its way into humanistic beliefs, uh, finds its way into psychology. The truth of genuine revelation is dimly reflected quite often in forms of knowledge, forms of understanding that do not rival the glory of revelation. So for example, the soul is a mirror of the spirit. The study of psychology is a study of the behavior of the soul and its emotions. But there is actually no healing of a broken person possible in psychology. So what is taught, for example, is how to cope, how to cope with one's brokenness. And in fact, the idea that some people can actually be healed is, um, is outside of the perimeter of the thinking of, of secular psychologists. So the moon under her feet means that hers is the greater light, the light of revelation. And on her head, a crown of twelve stars. Of course, crown um, is an indication of rule, twelve is the number of government, and so her place, as it were, is at the head of the class. She she has this um, potential for preeminence. She was pregnant and and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Now, just a a note on that. Jesus spoke about the events at the end of the age as being like, quote, birth pains, birth pangs on a pregnant woman. So there's a one-to-one correlation between this sign that appears in the heavens and the end of the age. 
And I'll come back to the fact that this, this is mirrored in Scripture such as in, uh, uh, in Israel fleeing out of Egypt carrying the Messiah or Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, carrying the Lord Jesus Christ. So there are types and shadows of this, as I was saying before, that abound in Scripture. But if you you continue with the reading, you'll understand that that application of these things is not about Mary, Uh, It's not even about Jesus as such. The revelation is being written um, probably another 40 years after, 40 or 50 years after Jesus uh, uh, has already ascended to heaven. So if it were about Jesus and Mary, it would be postscript. It would be after these things had occurred. But we'll go forward. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven crowns or diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of the heavens and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. In previous messages, I've already talked about uh, the great dragon with its seven heads, ten horns. We'll focus again on this dragon in the next chapter, chapter 13. Now, in chapter 13, Uh, or in chapter 12, let me just skip over to verse 9 for the sake of identification with greater specificity of this dragon. That's uh, verse 7 says, War rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, that is the dragon and his angels and the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent, there's only one ancient serpent, he shows up in the Garden of Eden, right? And we'll go to that in the book of Genesis chapter chapter 3 in just a moment. But the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So who is this dragon? Several descriptors. Number one, the ancient serpent, same as the dragon. Number two, the devil, same as the ancient serpent, same as the dragon. Number three, Satan, same thing. And number four, the deceiver of the whole world. All right? 
So there's no question as to who this serpent was or is. Now he's standing there, let's go back uh, to uh, the woman who is about to give birth, so that when she bore her child he might devour it. That was verse 4 of Revelation 12. Verse 5, she gave birth to a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to His throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now, the dragon is waiting to devour the child. That has always been true. When the Redeemer was born in Egypt, Pharaoh, who uh, whose culture, whose country, was very connected to the Nile crocodile, was worshipped as one of the gods of Egypt. He was there and that Nile crocodile was commonly considered to be a type of serpent. He was there to try to kill Moses, so type number one a sort of a crude, in the sense of unfinished, representation. Similarly, in the time of Christ, Herod wanted to kill him. And in fact, like Pharaoh before him, he killed all the male children of a certain age and under in the intent to exterminate the deliverer. So this is a principle of how the serpent, the dragon, intends to do mortal harm to the deliverer whenever he comes. She gave birth to a male child who, was, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Now, that's a reference, of course, to both Christ and the body of Christ. For we will rule and reign with Him. Now, this child was caught up to God and to His throne. One of the mistakes we typically make when we read things like this is we infer an understanding that is not necessarily correct. The inference here that is commonly uh, taken is that this is speaking about Jesus who, after He had contended with Satan and lived the three and a half years, that He in fact was caught up to heaven and while they beheld, He was taken up and a cloud received Him out of their sight. No question that that occurred of Jesus, that He was caught up into heaven. But this scripture does not say that this child is caught up into heaven. It says He's caught up 
to God and to his throne. The, the, the blessing to every believer that Jesus extended was, and you will sit with me upon my Father's throne. He said such things in context of John 17 in which he said, Father, all those who believe in me through the words of the disciples, let them be one in the manner in which you and I are one. You are in me, I am in you, let them be one in us that the world might believe that you've sent me and that you've loved them as you love me. So in focusing on the location of the throne as being in heaven, we miss the whole point. Point is not the location of the throne, the point is what does the throne signify? The throne signifies the unimpregnable authority of Christ. In short, the unbreachable uh, foundation of his domain. He guarantees the well-being of all those who trust in him by the authority of his Father's throne. As the Father has sent me, he frames the Great Commission in John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. In, in uh, Mark 16, 15 and 16, go into all the world, preach the good news uh, to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, he who believes not shall be condemned, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out demons, uh, heal the sick, etc. Uh, he sent a message uh, to Herod when, or when it was said that Herod wants to kill you, he sent a message or he declared a message, say to that fox, I will cast out demons today and tomorrow and on the third day I will reach my goal. The point being that when we are included in Christ, we have the authority of the throne of God. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 28.18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, go ye therefore, or as I just quoted in John 20.21, 20, now as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. This is the language of delegated authority and it represents the authority of the throne by which the believer is made secure. So you don't have to be in heaven, in fact, the, the, the simple truth is that the enemy is thrown out of heaven. So if you are in heaven, you are beyond the authority of Satan, but Satan is not 
you, you're not able to restrict or restrain the activities of Satan on the earth by commanding him in circumstances on the earth because you're not here. It's imperative that we be on the earth but be seated on the throne, which is to say operate out of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why so often we refer to in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is to say by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So caught up to His throne is a reference to the fact that we are in Christ, Christ is in the Father, therefore the Father and the Son live in us by the Spirit of God and therefore we act by His authority. Demons would make declarations like, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? Said that to the seven sons of Sceva. So this woman, this woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, brings forth this child and the child is caught up to God and to His throne means the child is separate now from the woman and the child is acting, uh, it, it basically says a male child and the term used to describe the word child is the word weos, H-U-I-O-S, weos. In scripture that is a reference that is commonly associated with Jesus Christ as He has been brought forth and declared to be the Son of God following the baptism of John. So it's a reference to a fully mature Son, the Huios of God. So <clears throat> the, the heir of God is obviously caught up to the throne of God, meaning He's seated on His Father's throne. The woman then flees into the wilderness where she is, has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now I want, to, I want to, to leave out verses 7 through 12 and go to verse 13 because there it says, the dragon saw uh, that the uh, Let's see, he says, the dragon saw that the woman had fled, he pursued her into the wilderness and in that pursuit much is revealed. The dragon had been, uh, when the dragon saw that he had been uh, thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who, gave, who had given birth to the male child, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might flee from the serpent into the wilderness. Now I want to go to this particular point, that's verse 17, the dragon became furious with the woman 
and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring. Went off to make war with the rest of her offspring. The word for rest there is remnant. I want to pick up when we come back and untangle these particular uh, pieces of the parable so we can see the revelation with greater accuracy. But I'm out of time for now, so I'll come back and I'll jump right in where we left off. I'm Sam Solon and I'll see you then. Bye-bye.